Pastor Xavier Reese, recognizing God's anointed. Saul was the acknowledged king. Saul was the one in command. Saul was the one who was served by the people. But they said David had been the one who really had led Israel out and brought them in. They recognize that now. The people could clearly see that Saul was only king over them, but David, the true leader. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The elders of Israel received David's leadership because it was evident God called him to lead. In David, they saw demonstrated one who belonged to God's people in heritage and heart, one who demonstrated the capability to lead, and one with an evident call from God. And as Pastor Xavier delivers today's Simple Truth study of 2 Samuel chapter 5, it's these same things we likewise should see in anyone who we would receive leadership from. Let's listen. David was crushed at the news of Saul and Jonathan's death from that Amalekite that brought him news. The Amalekite lied, thinking he would be rewarded by David, bringing him the crown and the bracelet. To his amazement, he was put to death by his own words. After Saul's death, Abner, the commander of Saul, the general of his army, made Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, king over Israel. He was 40 years old, and he relocated him north on the Transjordan side to rule over the north of the Transjordan and over the northern kingdoms. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 gives us that. Now, we were told also in 2 Samuel 2.10 that Ishbosheth reigned for only two years. So the anointing of David by Israel is five years after. There's a five years difference. Okay? And sometimes we read and we don't understand this. You can also confirm it in 1 Chronicles 11, 1 through 3, what we're going to look at here in chapter 5. And now, from here on, Samuel, you can cross-reference in the Chronicles and get supplementary information. Keep in mind, God has made David king, not because he was a perfect person. He has flawed. He has had lapses of faith like anything, anyone else. Yet God kept assuring him and confirming them that God was going to make him king. What we have in chapter 5 here of 2 Samuel are the promises of God being realized. So what we want to do is look at David's life as king at this point with the benefit of hindsight. We're going to look back. This is a great opportunity because it's going to encourage us of God's faithfulness. This will help us to trust God by seeing how God is always in control and that he cannot lie. Now, his decrees will always happen. The first coming, second coming, Antichrist. All of that's going to come. But along that, the God's decrees, you've got a parallel line of individual will. And though I can make wrong decisions and add to my own hurt, they don't alter the ultimate decrees of God. Very important. So we can't say, well, God's in control. No matter what I do, he'll bail me out. Eh, wrong. Sometimes he's sovereign and merciful. But for the most part, we reap to what we sow, Right? Okay, haven't established that. Let me read the text. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 of Second Samuel. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bones and your flesh. 
Also, in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all of the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Three things mark David's kingship here. First, David's character, verse 1. Secondly, David's call, verse 2. And thirdly, David's compensation, verse 3 through 5. David's character comes first. This deals with the present. Verse 1, it deals with the present. Notice David was acknowledged by all the tribes of Israel. They came to him saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. They acknowledged that oneness of the nation. David had patiently waited upon God, as you know. Prior to this, there was civil war uh, in the kingdom, the house of David against the house of Saul, as we've seen from chapter 2 on, and we'll look at some of that. And David reigned seven and a half years in Hebron over Judah. And David reigned over two tribes only, Judah and Benjamin. So we have a divided kingdom here. After the reign of Solomon through Rehoboam, it's divided again. The southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom, ten tribes. It's called Israel and Judah, okay? So the kingdom's divided before, and the kingdom will be divided afterwards. Interesting. Now, it wasn't until seven and a half years were over that this took place. Five years after the death of Ishbosheth, but God wasn't done. It was only the beginning of all that he was going to do for David. Think about that and remember that when you find yourself in a rut. You find yourself in a dark cave that God's not done. It's not the last chapter in your life. You understand? That is why we are exhorted through the scriptures to wait upon the Lord and to trust in him. For apart from him, we can do nothing important. Now, David had responded to the news of Saul's death honorably, if you remember. We saw that in chapter 1. Uh, David slew the Amalekite, uh, thinking he would be rewarded, and he lies to his own death. That's what clears up the last chapter of 1 Samuel and the first chapter of 2 Samuel. The last chapter of Samuel 31 is the recorded facts. The first chapter of 2 Samuel is the lie, thinking he's going to be rewarded. And later on in chapter 3, David will make it clear as we go through the scriptures tonight, okay? But he didn't know it at the time. But chapter 31 comes before chapter 1. That's the record. This is the lie. We saw that. Now, David tore his clothes, if you remember, and he mourned. He wept for David, Saul, and Jonathan. And David asked the young man those questions you remember. Where are you from? He says, I'm an Amalekite. How was it that you didn't fear? You didn't have fear in your heart to put forth your hand against God's anointed, to destroy him. He was a resident alien, remember. So he really cooked his own goose. And so David had him executed. This was David's first deed as king. He would have no part of anything wicked. You understand? Very important. Now David's character was holy and godly. David did not want to be exalted at the hand 
of a wicked man. Remember Abraham when the king of Sodom and Gomorrah came out to him and wanted to reward him? Listen to Abraham. He said, I will not even take a shoelace lest you say I have made Abraham great. Get away from any appearance of wickedness. Do not partake. When you know it's wicked, don't partake with it. Not if you're a Christian. You understand? The public guys were on David all along. They've heard a lot of stuff about him. They're looking. Now, David, remember, still in 2 Samuel, the rest of chapter 1, David praised Saul as well as Jonathan, you remember. Now, David lamented over the loss of Saul and Jonathan, memorializing them. The word there, a dirge or an elegy or a eulogy to speak well of them. And um, he didn't exclude Saul. He included him. David had the people learn the song of the bull of the book of Jasher in remembrance of Jonathan. This is not the natural response when someone's trying to kill you. People were looking. They were, okay, let's see if Saul was right. And yet David, with his character, dependent on God through the Spirit of God, grieved and praised the man that sought to kill him because of who he was. David honored Saul as he eulogized him in lamentation. He spoke well of him. He called him the beauty of Israel, slain. And he took news from the, that, that the news would not be given to the Philistines, that they would rejoice in it. Don't let, don't let them know about it. He cursed Gilboa, the mountain where they fell, these courageous men. He declared the unity of father and son, not only alive, but in death they were united, never separated, courageous warriors. And he stated his disdain for the enemy throughout it, literally. And then he declared his distress for Jonathan's death and his love for him, surpassing the love of a woman, never implying homosexuality at all. But these two rugged warriors hit it off. They had the same likes, and they made a covenant of being loyal and faithful, committed to each other, even beyond their own life and death to their families. That's what he's talking about. This is not natural. The house of Israel was watching David to see if what Saul had said about David was true. People are watching you. They're watching me. People say good things about you. People say bad things about you. It might shock you what it said about you. And people are looking to see if it's so. The only thing witnessed by them was that David was edifying, honoring, and praising Saul and Jonathan. 2 Samuel chapter 2, then David sought the Lord's will after all this. And he sought the Lord to see where he would have him to do. And we are told that he told him to go to Hebron in the first verse. He has God direct him. He doesn't say, well, I'm on the throne now. Saul's gone. All right, you guys are had it. He goes to the Lord. David took his wives and he dwelt there, we're told. And the men of Judah then anointed David king there in Hebron, we are told in verse 4 of chapter 2. And then God had prepared the men of Israel to look to David. All of this was part of the process of God, his timing one day at a time. And David didn't, did not come and force himself on them. This is very important. He didn't say, you have to accept me. 
He just stayed where God wanted him, and they came to him. Being patient, not wanting to speed up things, to force things in my life is very important. The scriptures tell us that promotion does not come from the east to west, but from the Lord, Psalm 75, 6. Today in the world, we're just so prominent. People say, come on, it's in you. You've got it. You've got good energy. Go get it. And so we've got an arrogant, self-confident, just brash society that cares about nothing but one thing, getting what they want. It's all over our society. Even commercials. It's a commercial that runs. It's stupid. I want my money now. These are adults. These are lawyers promoting this. You think they're a bunch of seven-year-olds. But nobody says anything because everybody's there. Amazing. David blessed the Giladites for their loyalty to Saul. You remember there in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel. He had been told by the men of Judah how Jabesh Gilead had recovered the bodies of Saul and Jonathan and then brought them home and gave them a proper burial. And so David praised them and he prayed that the Lord would show his kindness toward them and promised that he himself would do everything possible to bless them with his own kindness. And he asked them to be strong and valiant. And then he proclaimed that he had been made an anointed king by Judah. A very indirect and subtle invitation that if they wanted to, they would be assured that he would not kill any of them or hold any grudge that they could come and be under the kingdom. Because in those days, when the king died, what you do is you wipe out all his relatives and all his officers because you don't want no rebellion against your kingdom that's going to take it over. You understand? David gave him an open invitation, not forceful, and he left it there. They're listening. They're watching. And then David also demonstrated his disapproval of Joab's treacherous plan and, in fact, the deed when he killed Abner in chapter 3 of 2 Samuel. Civil war had broke out between the house of Saul and the house of David, and Abner had killed Joab's younger brother, Aziel, which was the nephew of David in chapter 2 there towards the end. And Abner had moved on and taken control of the kingdom, and he had sexual relationship with Saul's concubine, Riza. And so Eshbosheth confronted him, and um, he didn't take it too good, and he threatened he would give the kingdom back to David. Am I a dog that you bring this charge against me? And so Abner told David to make a covenant with him, sent messengers. But David said, there's one condition. You have to give me back Michael, my wife. Because remember, Saul, her father, had given her away to another man. And that's a real black mark on David. We don't have time for it this morning. But um, she came back and they celebrated the covenant and they feasted together. And um, Abner left under the pretense of peace with David. And in his, as far as he was concerned, they were at peace. But um, Abner, as he left, Joab came back. And he heard about it. And, and Joab said to David, what are you doing? You crazy? Abner's your enemy. He came to spy out the land. And you made a covenant with him? But Joab wanted to kill him because he killed his brother. He had this grudge all these years. So he sent a messenger to bring 
Abner back, and he took him to the side of the gate, and he killed him. And so people are watching. And David declared his innocence before all. I had no part of this. This is all Joab and his family's doing. And he cursed the lineage of Joab. And then he forced Joab and his others to march in the procession of the funeral. The people recognized that David had nothing to do with this. This was all of Joab. He declared his cruelty, his punishment. And so all these are the reasons why all of Israel came to David and said these words, we are your bone and your flesh because they saw that David was only concerned with one thing, godliness and with the benefit of the kingdom. David's character caused the people to give their allegiance to him. One of the chief characteristics of leadership is that of being tried through many tests and character, who you really are. Today, the church has a great void of leaders that are not serving. They want to be served. You have a parallel in the world and in the church, the same thing. No different. You have leaders in the church that rather than doing what's right, they protect men. They're not there to protect the word of God. They're there to protect their friends and the staff and everything else. We correct things and sometimes with many tears because I cannot favor. But we deal with issues. We do it biblically. We're not perfect. So what I'm interested in is, God, what would you have me to do? And I know what he wants me to do by knowing God's word. It's not that difficult. We do not defend anybody who does evil. We deal with issues. Our goal is restoration, not mere castigation. But often castigation comes because we're so hard-hearted, you understand? Oswald Sanders, in his book entitled Spiritual Leadership, opens this chapter on the search for leadership with this quote. Listen to it. Give me a man of God, one man, whose faith is master of his mind, and I will right all wrongs and bless the name of all mankind. Give me a man of God, one man, whose tongue is touched with heaven's fire, and I will flame the darkest hearts with high resolve and clean desire. Give me a man of God, one man, one mighty prophet of the Lord, and I will give you peace on earth, bought with prayers and not a sword. Give me a man of God, one man, true to the vision that he sees, and I will build your broken shrines and bring the nation to their knees. This is what God can do. We've seen it through history, time and time again. But because man is so sinful, it always goes back, doesn't it? We are very prone to not hold the mark. Paul counseled Timothy about his integrity, if you remember, in 1 Timothy 4.12. Listen to the words. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the, of the believer in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He had left Timothy there at Ephesus, the church. People are watching. People are looking. People are talking. It doesn't matter. Peter says, when people speak evil against you, you have to live in such a way to prove them wrong. I can't go around and put out every fire. So I have to live in a way to prove them wrong. 
our conduct is a standard of our lives by the word of God, not our opinions. Our conduct is to be transformation of heart through the word of God to change our manner of life. And the motivation is to be the love for God. So my heart's not fickle. Obeying the standard of God's word regardless of who fails. I cannot be a respecter of persons. There's people that I love I've had to remove from ministry with tears. I can do nothing else. The zeal of enthusiasm indicated by spirit in this text, faithfulness, literally, and purity are the outgrowth of the first three. The word, conduct, and love. Everything comes through the word. That's the standards by the spirit of God that enables me, ladies and gentlemen, not myself. Paul gave, as you know, instructions to the Colossians also about Christian integrity. Listen to his words. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Colossians 4, 6. Now, the reference to grace is the gospel. Speaking with the best intentions always towards the person, though they may not deserve it. I have to be true to the gospel. I have to offer the gospel to all. Regardless of who they are. I have to deal with them regarding the gospel, regardless of who they are. Our speech has to be always seasoned with solicitor, which purifies, preserves, and causes people to thirst. Once again, for the benefit of the person. I may not agree with their lifestyle, but I answer them scripturally that the Spirit of God can deal with their hearts. The wisdom of each of us will be choosing our words for every person and situation that are best and appropriate. Two ears, one mouth. The ratio speaks for itself. We should listen twice as often as we speak. The word in our text there, ought, means obligation. It's our duty. We're obligated by God. It is our duty to respond in an appropriate biblical way. If you remember, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, he gives them the safeguard for their integrity. Real simple, listen. Abstain from every form of evil. Simple. Abstain from every form of evil. If it is questionable, don't do it. Don't go there. If it is going to stumble someone, don't do it. If it's going to jeopardize the credibility of your life or the gospel, why would you want to go there? Get away from it. You see, David was a man of character before God. They were looking, they were listening, they were comparing. This was the present. The people could clearly see that Saul was only king over them, but David, the true leader. This is the words of Israel, those tribes that Saul was over. They said, in times past, Saul was king over them. Verse 2, Saul was the acknowledged king. Saul was the one in command. Saul was the one who was served by the people. But they said David had been the one who really had led Israel out and brought them in. They recognize that now. They could look on the past and see that David was the one fighting the battles of the Lord, not Saul. Pastor Xavier Reese 
breaking for today in our Simple Truth study of 2 Samuel chapter 5, highlighting God's timing for David assuming the throne as king of Israel. And this program can be heard again online for any part you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, as always, you can pick one up as well. And the title you want to ask for is simply, David is Anointed King of Israel. It's available for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to a friend in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, David is Anointed King of Israel. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com